You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. So we're going to go into the Word of God right now. We're privileged to have a dear, a dear friend. We're actually neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Um, pastor Temba is, 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 is the pastor for Every Nation Sunning Hill. And uh, he and his wife, Amy, have been, um, they've been good friends over the years. And uh, he's also the one that heads uh, evangelism in uh, Southern Africa region. And they've just hosted a magnificent, powerful evangelism and outreach internship. Hallelujah. How many of you were there? Let me see. Where are the people who were in Rosebank for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So we are privileged he's going to bring the word to us this morning. Are you excited? Let's receive Pastor Temba. Thank you so much, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is so, so good to be back home with family. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for that warm reception. It is a joy to be here with you this morning. And before I dive into the word, just um, I love this venue. Praise God. Amen. It's amazing. Praise God. And want to just honor Pastor Eric and Pastor Uba for their prevailing faith. Amen for overcoming obstacles, believing and trusting God until the breakthrough. Amen. We honor you guys for that. Thank you so much for modeling the way for us. Amen. Our faith is stirred and encouraged as we also pursue a venue in Sunning Hill. And uh, I'm just so excited um, to be here this morning. Uh, as I came and I was sitting in the place um, preparing just before the service and mulling over what God is saying, I just really felt the Lord saying that this is a place of shalom. This is the place of his peace. And if you know anything about shalom, it's a peace that brings peace. Anything broken, anything disrupted, it brings the presence of God to bear, to bring a difference. It's like the kingdom of God coming in an area and a place. So this is a place of shalom. This is a place of his presence. This is a place where the Lord dwells. This is a place where his peace goes forth. And I saw the shalom of God spreading from this place out. As you go and you touch and you heal the various areas in society, God goes with you. His peace goes with you. I see people's lives being mended and brought back together in this place. I see this as a place of restoration. This is a place of shalom. Amen. 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 So, Father, we just bless this house with your peace, with your shalom. I thank you, Lord God, that as they dwell in your presence, Lord, your presence goes with them wherever they go, bringing shalom. Father, bless your word this morning. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'd like to start off this morning by introducing my family. For those of you who don't know us yet, uh, this is my beautiful family. 
uh, my wife Amy, our son John David, and our daughter Aaliyah. Um, I need to tell you a little bit about us as a family. Uh, we were told that we wouldn't have kids. We're told that it was virtually impossible. And look what the Lord has done. Amen. 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 So our son, John David, was our first surprise. Amen. And uh, we praise God that um, his timing is perfect. Amen. Because if we had calculated and made our own plans and thought our own ideas, uh, we wouldn't have been able to enter into God's perfect timing for our lives. So we got married, and 10 months later, John David arrived. Amen. He is our honeymoon baby. <laughs> My daughter, Leah, uh, loves um, God's presence, loves to serve God, and uh, she's such a joy, uh, as our son is as well. They're very different personalities. But she's got a real passion for lost people. She's got a real passion to see people come to Christ. Uh, two years ago, when she was nine years old, uh, she led um, people at her school, uh, fellow students to the Lord, uh, about 11 of them. And uh, she started a couple of connect groups. Well, one group that grew too large at the school, so she had to multiply it into three groups. And then COVID happened. And, uh, you know, we were looking at this and, and pondering and wondering, and, you know, is she really, um, was it a moment? Was she just caught up in hype? Was this something that's really uh, in her heart that she carries? And um, the outreach internship has just happened over the last 10 days, and she was our youngest delegate, learning how to reach souls and lead teams to do the same. Um, one of the things that we've got to do as the church is we have to allow young people to get involved in the things of God while they're young. Amen. We cannot save the next generation from Christianity. It's not like, no, no, no. When you're older, you'll go to all-night prayer meetings. When you're older, you'll go out and reach the lost. No, the time is now. Amen. We need to give them the full dose, not the half dose. Amen. And it's amazing what young people will do for God when we give them permission, when we get them in the game. And it's just so encouraging. It's so encouraging to see young people arising. The title of my sermon this morning is A Passion for Souls. I want to talk about a passion for souls. Uh, we've just had 10 days of training potential evangelists. And I say potential because only God will know over time if that is the office they'll stand in. But these were 60 people from around South Africa, around the continent. We had uh, even people from Germany, from France, who attended the outreach intention. And it was an incredible gathering, incredible time together. We saw over 271 people who said, you know what? Uh, I want to take a step towards God, and I want to take a step towards joining church. So we engaged 271 people. Saw lots of salvations, lots of recommitments, lots of people getting healed in our city. Amen? This is not somewhere out in some rural area. This is in Johannesburg. 
And I want to report to you that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. You know, when we look at statistics about South Africa, there are a couple of things that come to light. Often, Stats South Africa will tell us somewhere around 75 to 80% of South Africans are born again. But then when you interrogate that statistic and you ask the tough questions, what kind of Christianity are you talking about? The number starts to be whittled down. From 80%, it goes down, down, past 70 Past 60, 50, 40, 30, it keeps going down. According to Operation World, they say 24% of South Africans are genuinely what you would call an evangelical Christian. Now, we're not even talking about charismatic, tongue-talking, devil-chasing. We're just talking about like they believe the Bible and they go to church, 24%. According to Church Planting Alliance, that statistic is 10%. Church Planting Alliance says that only 10% of South Africans are genuinely born again. Wow. University of Stellenbosch came out with statistics from their missiology department that said 15% of South Africans are genuine Christians. Bible-believing Christians who attend church on a Sunday, only 15%. So if you average those three sources, uh, you could land on that 15% number and say, okay, let's say 15% of South Africans are born again. In fact, let's be generous. Let's say 20. Let's say the stats are lying and and there's error. So let's be generous. Let's say 20% of South Africans are born again. That means one in every five people that we meet is on the way to heaven. That means as you go to work, as you are at the mall, as you're going about life, as you're driving your car, one in every five is on the way to heaven. Now, if this statistic is true, The bigger question is why doesn't it bug us? Why is it so easy for us to walk past someone who's going to hell? Why doesn't it keep us up at night? Why doesn't it stir a fire inside our hearts? And I think part of the solution to that question is because we've lost our passion for souls. We've lost our passion for people. And in John chapter 8, there's a group of people that Jesus takes on a journey to passion for people. And I love Jesus. Because he doesn't bring out a big stick and beat them over the head and say, why don't you love people? He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't belittle them. Jesus shows them by the example of his life 
And Jesus teaches them in a gentle and loving way and opens their eyes so that they too can possess a passion for people. And I pray, Father, as we look at your word this morning, you'll do the same for us. Amen. Amen. So let's join the text here in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 12. Whenever I train on evangelism, this is always my starting point. Are you ready? So this is a famous story of a woman who was caught in adultery. And she was caught by the Pharisees. And we join the story in John chapter 8 verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst of where Jesus was, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. No one. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go now, for from now on, sin no more. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So this morning, I want to give you some passion switches. Things that we can do to ignite our passion for people. And our first unlikely teachers on how to have a passion for people are the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, why on earth were the scribes and Pharisees teach us anything about reaching people? Because the scribes and the Pharisees went where the lost people were. So many of us today are so stuck up in our Christianity that we don't go where sinners are. 
We're afraid to lose our holiness. Oh, Jesus, my holiness. My holiness, my holiness. But the scribes and the Pharisees go where people are caught in sin. Now, their motives weren't that great, I know that, but the lesson in this point is simply this. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Passion for souls or going out to reach them? So often we end up in prayer meetings where we're praying, Father, give me passion for souls. Give me passion for souls. Give me. Has anyone ever prayed that prayer? Because we think that, okay, something's going to happen, a mystical thing's going to land on me that's going to mobilize me to go out there and do something. I remember at university going to a soul-winning training where they train Christians how to win souls. And so I thought, well, I'm not doing anything on Monday night, so I'll go along for this soul-winning training. And at the soul winning training, they gave us some Bible verses. Very nice, very nice. Good, good. I knew most of them. Yes, yes. And then after about half an hour, they said, right, we're going to pray for souls. And I said, oh, I can do that. So we started to pray for souls to be saved on the university campus. It would be awesome. God's going to meet us. Hallelujah. Glory. All of those good things. Then, the instructor said to us, it's time to go out. And I was like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, you don't understand, I didn't sign up to go out. No, 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 the reason I came here was to learn how to win souls. What do you mean we have to go out? That's not the deal. In the announcement, you didn't tell us we're going out. So as I was preparing my exit strategy. One of the ladies who was leading the meeting that night came and sat next to me. And she said, Timber, we will partner together and I will teach you how to go and win souls. Her name was Bronwyn. And I said to Bronwyn, I said, Bronwyn, um, I don't think I'm ready to go just yet. Maybe next week. And you know what was going to happen next week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe next week when I come, then I'll go out. And Bronwyn looked me straight in the eyes and she said, Temba, are you ashamed of the gospel? Now in my heart, I said, yes. But what came out of my mouth was, She's a woman. I can't look like a wimp in front of a woman. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let's go. <laughs> so we, had, we went out. True story. We went out to Bits Campus, Corey Matthews residence on uh, Rhodes, Rhodes University campus, Corey Matthews. We went into that res and um, 
the first door we knocked on, knock, knock, knock. Guy opened up the door and, we, and he said, can I help you? And he said, yeah, we would like to find out how you are doing on your spiritual journey. So he said, well, sure, come in. And as we entered his res room, this guy had painted the white walls in his res room black. He had candles that were burning. He had a black bed sheet, duvet cover, pillows. And we felt like the fly that had entered the spider web. And so we started to talk to him about the gospel, about what Jesus had done. We started to give him the hope that the Bible talks about. And after about 10, 15 minutes, the guy looked at us and he said, I've already chosen my path. No thank you. And so we, we gathered ourselves and we left the room. And as I was walking out, the light came on in my mind and I realized something. I realized that people are really lost. There's a spiritual war going on. And we have to do something about it. And so the next week, when there was soul winning, I was there. And the next week, and the next week, and the next week, and the next week, because I realized that we have to do something about the problem. And the solution is Jesus Christ. And the more we went, the more we started to see people getting saved. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? It's as we go that we have passion for people. Sometimes all that God needs is for us to take that first step. And watch how all the resources of heaven are marshaled to support and meet you in that place. Second thing we learn from the Pharisees. Is that we've got to know what we think about the lost. In John chapter 8 verse 5, they say, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? You know, when we come across lost people, what, what do we think about them? Do we look at all the Bible verses that tell us why this is a problem? Why their life is not working out? Because the reality is that the longer a person is a Christian, over time, the less non-Christians they have in their social circle. Why is that? It is because we want to maintain our holiness. And because we want to maintain our holiness, we're like, okay, that guy swears. That guy drinks. That guy is unfaithful with his wife. So I'm, I'm not going to hang out with these people. Because what they're doing is wrong. And it's true. What they're doing is wrong. But we need to understand a couple of things here. 
They say this woman is caught in sin. Caught in the very act. But what are we supposed to think about it? In the Bible, it tells us this is wrong. This is sinful. Let's look at the law of Moses for a moment. Paul, in the book of Romans, wrestles with the law, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. He talks about the law. And there are a couple of things we've got to understand about the law. Number one, the Bible says the law points out our fault. It tells us where we're wrong. That's, that's what the law does. And then Paul says the law is not bad. In fact, the law is good. Had it not been for the law, I would not have known what sin was. So the law is good. Number three, the law has no solution apart from self-effort. So the law tells us that it's wrong to drink. And the only way out is to try harder not to drink. Now, the fourth thing about the law is that the law stirs up the sin nature. That's what Paul says. The law stirs up the sin nature. Let me give you an example. You're driving on the N1. And there's a law. And the law says 120. Something stirs up in your heart. What about 121? Yes. Yes. What about 125? I've heard that there's a grace period that the, the, the police officers give you. Just over 120. Whenever there's a law, it stirs up the sin nature. Do not walk on the grass. Suddenly we're like, hmm. Which part of the grass? Why is this a law? Why is this important? Okay, if I walk on the grass, what's going to happen? Not, look, I'm walking on the grass. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Now, the problem with the law is that it leads to more self-effort in order to be right with God. So because now I can't measure up, I can't stop myself drinking and I, the harder I try, the harder I try, now I feel defeated. And so I try harder to be right with God. And the problem with that is that God's standard is perfection. God's standard is perfection. It's not enough for me to say God, but I was just tipsy. God's standard is perfection. And the power of the law, according to Paul, is that it points us to our total inadequacy. Amen. That in and of ourselves, we cannot change ourselves. And the power of the law is actually this, that it points us to our need for a savior. You see, where the, where the scribes and the Pharisees got it wrong is that they misunderstood the law. They thought the law was a stick to beat people with. They didn't realize that the law was there to show people that they needed a savior. Amen. Amen. What do you think about them? Let's go to verse 5 again. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. 
Now, Jesus, what do you say? Passion switch number two is that, what do we think? Passion switch number three is, what does Jesus think about the situation? What does Jesus think of this person who's swearing, who's sinning, who's messing around, who's got no morals? What does Jesus think about that person? We've got to see people the way that God sees them. I remember during my university days, going home for a holiday, we started seeing people getting saved on the campus. And I thought, you know what? When I go back, I want my buddies to go with me. I'm going to teach them how to win souls. And that's what we did during our school holidays. And we'll go back to Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, where I'm from, and we would train people. And we're chatting together and we said, let's clean up this city. Mm -hmm. We're going to clean up this city. We're going to go to the worst places, to the worst sinners, the people who are messing up this city. We're going to teach them a lesson. We're going to share the gospel with them and they're going to change. Mm. So we went to the prostitutes. We drove along Borough Street, what's now Leopard Takawira, or some other name. We drove to where they all were, and we parked our car far away from where they were, right? Because we didn't want our car to be associated with those activities. Bulawayo is a small town. People would recognize the vehicle, so we needed to make sure that the car was, was a good distance from where the prostitutes were. So we walked to where the prostitutes were. And when we were there, we walked up to the first prostitute and we started to share the gospel with her. I said, hi, my name's Timba. This is my friend, Victor, my friend, Trevor. I would like to share the gospel with you. What's your name? And this prostitute looked at us and she said, my name is precious. Suddenly, we're in a crisis, right? Because here we were, coming to deal with the sinners. But this sinner's name was precious. How did God see this prostitute who was wrecking marriages? Must probably spreading some sort of sexually transmitted disease. How did God see this woman? He saw her as precious. Yes. Amen. Amen. What does God think about the people in our world? Everyone knows John 3, verse 16, right? Yes. For God so loved the world. God loves the world, right? That he gave his, his one and only son to do what? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but isn't that good news? God loves the world. He loves people. Oh, but what if they've done wrong? What, what if they're violating the Bible? Verse 17. What does John 3 verse 17 say? I think 
Verse 17 needs to be more famous than verse 16. Because if we don't understand verse 17, we get it wrong. This is what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wow. Now we understand why Jesus didn't walk around with a stick, beating every sinner. You know, it's crazy what we do as, as believers. Someone swears and we're like, oh, yo, don't swear around me. Oh, don't, oh, you're messing with my holiness. Can't take any swearing, my holiness. We're on the wrong mission. Our mission is not to condemn the world. I said, do you know how wrong you are? Do you know how bad you are? Do you know how much of a sin? Oh, you're so, that is not our mission. Our mission is not to go around condemning the world, but to tell the world that through him they might be saved, that there's hope, that there's a way out. That's our mission. That's our mission. Verse 7. It's interesting. That as they're going on about sin and talking about how horrible this woman is, she's been caught in the act of adultery. Jesus bends down and he starts to write on the ground. And folks, this is the sermon where you finally get the revelation of what he wrote on the ground. Are you ready for it? We don't know. So Jesus bends down and he writes on the ground and then he stands up and he says, Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he, he writes on the ground again. And when they heard this, they left from the oldest to the youngest and Jesus was left alone standing with the woman. Passion switch number four. Jesus shows us that everyone needs mercy. Amen. Yes, Lord. Everyone needs mercy. I don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground there, but he said, if any of you are without sin, that's what we do know. He said, if any of you are without sin, throw the first stone. Amen. And often our view of people who are sinners needs to be mirrored through our own life. When we think of how broken, how lost, how hopeless we were. As the Bible says in Ephesians, how we were strangers from the covenant and promises of God. We were estranged from him. We were without God and without hope in the world. That's who we were. But God had mercy on us. What's mercy? What's mercy? The word mercy means that the judgment you deserve, you no longer get. You know, it's just like your kids. When they're doing something naughty, and they know it's naughty, and now you've caught them, da -da -da -da, detective parent. You got them. They're guilty. And you say, you know what? I forgive you. That's mercy. That's mercy. Everyone needs mercy. We need mercy. The world needs mercy. And we need to be the distributors of mercy Amen. to the world. Yes, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 
The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. None of us can be in a relationship without the mercy of God. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I Amen. condemn you. Amen. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. You know, the, the next passion switch that we need is the passion switch where we understand the power of the gospel to change your life. Neither do I condemn you. Amen. Moses said, condemn such a one. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. No one here to condemn you. Condemn, condemn, condemn. What does this word condemn mean? The word condemn was a legal term in these days, in the times of the Bible. And was a legal term for someone who was tried in a court, found guilty, and the verdict would be, we condemn you, right? That's correct. And there was another option in a court case that you could be tried and found innocent and then proclaimed to be justified or innocent. Same word. So there are two options. You're either going to be condemned or you're going to be justified. Now there's a problem. There's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. Because in the court case of this woman, caught in the very act of adultery, she was guilty. Yeah, that's correct. So the court ruling should be that she is condemned. But now Jesus comes and says he doesn't condemn her. Why? Because Jesus here was talking about the fact that he will take the punishment Amen. that was due for her. Jesus paints a picture of the gospel that, no, 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 yes, you're guilty. Yes, you've done something wrong. But I, who know no sin, will become sin for you. That you, woman caught in adultery, might become the righteousness of God. Yes, There's a great exchange happening right here. Yes, Lord. Thank you. I have taken your place. Amen. That is the power and the beauty of the gospel. Amen. Jesus takes Amen. our place. Amen. He's condemned Amen. in our place. And that is the power of the gospel. Amen. Passion switch number six. Isn't it interesting that there's so much of a fuss over one woman? I mean, like, I mean, he was busy saving the whole world. Hello? I mean, why spend so much time in the Bible on just one person? Surely you should talk about the crowds and all of that. Why, why did Jesus spend so much time on one person? Because passion switch number six, we need to know that one person is important to God. 
One person is important to God. Amen. During the outreach internship over the last 10 days, in the morning we have class, in the afternoons we go out and do outreach. And last week, Saturday, as we went out and did outreach, uh, there's a gentleman in our church in Sunning Hill, 70 years old. And he bumped into, bumped into, how old is he? He bumped into someone he went to school with in grade one. Grade one. I mean, I was saying, Des, how did you even recognize the guy? How did, I mean, how? Grade one. Now, one person is important. God, God got Des from Sunny Hill to come to Rosebank for training on a date that we thought was a random date. And God caused his friend from grade one to be walking on the street at the same time that Des went out randomly during outreach to go do some outreach. God made a connection. Guys, the amazing thing about evangelism is God goes before us. God goes before us. There's a guy, Lassedi, that we led to the Lord on Friday. And Lassedi is a very extroverted character. Enrique and I were tired and we said, okay, let's go to Starbucks for some Jesus juice. <laughs> We'll sit down and we'll talk to someone. So we get to Starbucks and this character comes in, Lissetti, very extroverted. You greet him, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm well, and I mean like loud. And I mean, the guy is there, fully there. So then we grab our coffees, we sit down and I say to Rico, Ricky, just invite the guy to sit with us. Maybe he'll join us. In fact, Lissetti introduced himself as like, yeah, I'm weird. People say I'm weird. So Ricky went to him and said, uh, come join us for a coffee. Let's be weird together. So we start sitting, we're chatting, uh, hearing his life story, sharing a bit of our story. And he says, man, this is so weird. I'll stop by a guy called Julian today. Just today, a guy called Julian. And Julian was telling me that I need to come to God. But ah. So we keep chatting to him. We keep chatting to him. And, and as we're chatting to him, he eventually comes to a place where he's willing to surrender to Jesus Christ. He surrenders. And he says, you know, it's amazing. Today, Julian, that weird guy, now you guys, it's a setup. We're praying the sinner's prayer with him. We're praying the sinner's prayer. Enrico opens up the app. We've got an app to get people's contact details for follow-up. So as he opens up his phone, in our WhatsApp group of people uh, who are in the outreach internship, a guy called Jalo posts a picture at 14, sorry, at 16, 19. So 19 minutes past four, he posts a picture. And it's a picture of Lesedi. And he says, guys, I bumped into this guy called Lesedi. Pray for him. He needs Jesus. Wow. 
at exactly that time, we have just led Lacedi to Jesus Christ. We take a picture of us with Lacedi that we have just led to Jesus Christ. Wow. One person is important. One person is important. Do you know that even when you share the gospel badly, people get saved? God doesn't even need you to like be all clued up and apologetics, have all the answers. None of that. He just needs you to tell people that there's a God who loves them. There's a God who cares for them. Amen. Passion switch number seven. There's a window of opportunity for us to act. Imagine Jesus said, I'm too busy right now, okay? Scribes and Pharisees, I can't deal. Can you guys come back tomorrow? There's a window of opportunity in people's lives where God can move mightily. A window of opportunity. Imagine Jesus said no. And then the next day, headlines in Jerusalem. Woman stoned to death by scribes and Pharisees. Caught in adultery. There's a window of opportunity. I remember on campus, as I said, I, was, I, was, I became zealous for reaching people. And the Lord said to me, hey, Timber, Timber, that guy on campus, you need to reach him. I see the guy, I'm like, on it, Lord. I'm like, okay, but I'm busy reaching other people, Lord. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not, it's not because of fear, it's just time, Lord, time. I know where the guy lives. Next day, the Lord nudges me. Share the gospel. Oh, Lord, Lord, I'm too busy. Following day, literally every day that week, I'd bump into this guy. While I was doing outreach, and I'd be like, Lord, I'll get to him, I'll get to him. I see him, he's in my res, I'll get to him. It was orientation week. And we were out doing outreach. On the Monday, the first day of classes, we got news that a student had died was drowned to death. We were devastated. Who's the student? Who? It was that guy. It was that guy. There was a window of opportunity. When God nudges us, we need to move. We need to act. When God nudges us, he's never wasting our time. I've got a question for you in your church, Pastor Eric. How many of you are busier than God? None of you are busier than God. But, but if you aren't busier than God, when an opportunity presents itself, why do you walk past it? God, help us to redeem our time. Help us to use our time wisely so that people can be saved. Amen? Last point for this morning. This lady turns around and says, there's no one to condemn me. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Amen. And then he says this almost randomly in verse 12. He says, 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Final passion switch is do you believe that following Jesus will really change a person's life? Do you believe that following Jesus will really change a person's family? Do you believe that if someone will follow Jesus, not just their family will change, but their community, their workplace will change? Do you believe that the power of the gospel is so powerful that if someone can just follow Jesus, if someone can just follow Jesus, eventually the world will start to change? Do we believe in the power of the gospel? Because if we do, God will help us to share the gospel Amen. with people. Amen. You know, folks, I don't want you to leave this place with a sense of condemnation, a sense of guilt, because God's not like that. Amen. He really is not oh. like that. Amen. He's not trying to condemn you. He's trying to teach you. Amen. He's trying to raise you up. Amen. He's trying to show you what true value is. And the power of this thing is we never have to do Christianity alone. Amen. We've got God's help and His Holy Spirit that empowers us. COVID has done a number on a lot of us. Our priorities changed over two years. We stopped seeing people, stopped saying hi to people. And slowly... Like the law of entropy, anything left to itself tends to a state of chaos. We might have once been passionate about reaching souls, but it's difficult. And God wants to meet us in this place. He does. He wants to meet us in this place place of joy, a place of life, a place of redemption. And I believe this morning the Lord wants us to let go of guilt. Amen. Guilt of not reaching out to people. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And from guilt to say, God, lead me. Amen. Amen. Who here has been feeling guilty about not reaching the lost? Who's ready to change and say, God, yes. God wants to do a work this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you never waste our time. I thank you, Lord God, that you're God of purpose. And Father, I thank you that the purpose for us this morning is that you would change our hearts. Amen. And so, Father, as your children, <laughs> we say, Lord, <laughs> we've been feeling guilty that there's one more Christian thing we haven't been doing. <laughs> and we're sorry. Amen. Just where you are, just say, Father God, I'm sorry. And I thank you that today's a day of redemption. Amen. For me. And today, Father, I'm going to take your hand. 
Lead me. Guide me. I want to win souls. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Open my mouth. Father, I think it's time to prioritize again. The people in our world. The people we walk past. Thank you, Jesus. That we can see them like you see them. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, the story of this woman is really the story of how God values you, of how God sees you, of how God wants you to follow Him. It's a story about how there's hope. No matter how deep, no matter who knows, no matter how often, it's a story of redemption that God can change your life. So today's the day of your salvation. Today is your opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, you say, Timber, that's me. I want to change. I want Jesus. I want God. I want, I want to be different. I want to know God. I'm tired and sin. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you to turn from your sins and become a child of God, a work that only God can do. But he will do it. If we will just lift up our voice and call on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible promises. Is today your day? Absolutely, it's your day. Is today your moment? Absolutely, it's your moment. Don't waste this moment. Say yes to Jesus right now. If that's you this morning, say, Timber, I need to receive Jesus Christ in my life. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now and I'll pray with you. Is there anyone here at all? Is there anyone who says, that's me, Timber? That's me. Is there anyone at all? Father, I thank you for these amazing, amazing, beautiful people. Thank you and bless this church. And I thank you, Lord God, that as they go, you'll surprise them. You'll delight them. You will enthrall them with just how you use them to reach lost people around them. And finally, I'd like to pray for those of you who feel called. We're all called as believers to reach the lost, every one of us. But I want to pray specifically for those who feel called to be evangelists. So we're all called to reach it, but some are called to do more. And if that's you, I want, to, I want to ask you to stand. I'd love to just pray for you. This is not an ordination moment. It's an empowering moment. If you feel called to be an evangelist, I want to ask you to stand. I see Ruzani in the crowd. He's already evangelist, doesn't he stand? But if you're here, if you're here, I just want to pray for God's grace, anointing on you, for God to reactivate you. Maybe the fires of gone down 
Maybe you used to be an evangelist and used to love winning people, but the fires have gone down and you know God's calling you back. Father, thank you for these amazing, amazing people right now in the name of Jesus. I ask, Father, that you'd lay your hand on them. Father, I pray, Lord God, for an impartation of the gift and grace of the evangelist to be upon them, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord God, for a breakthrough in reaching souls where they've been reaching ones and twos. Father, I thank you, Lord, for tens and twenties. Where they've been reaching tens and twenties, I thank you, Lord, for hundreds, Lord. Where they've been reaching hundreds, thousands, Lord. The day of the harvest is here. The harvest is plentiful. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you make them fruitful in their labors in Jesus' name. A supernatural fruit. Thank you, Father. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.